Inspiration. I can do anything. Education. Let's do this. And application. Oh boy, this is going to be good. Welcome to Like It Matters Radio. Keeping us out of the water hazard with some truth therapy. And teeing up solutions for today's big issues. Here's your life caddy, Mr. Scott B. Black. So welcome to the world of Mr. Black. Wow. Welcome to the world of Mr. Black. I am he, you are you, and the time is now for Like It Matters Radio. This is where we're living life like it matters. And today we have got a great show for you. Today we're going to talk about our compass. We're going to talk about our standard. Uh, and we're going to have uh, my senior pastor at Hope Works Church join us about what is that standard. You know, uh, how do you know something's a lie? Isn't that an important question? Yet we're dealing with truth and lies. We got fact checkers on social media that you wonder what facts are they coming by, right? Their truth seems to be different than the truth. But how do you know something's a lie? Think about that. You, you must compare it to the truth, right? I mean, consider counterfeit money, right? You know how they people learn to identify counterfeit money? Do you know how? They study, they analyze every little detail of real money. Logical. Even po- Yeah, it makes sense. And yet most people don't have a standard. My standard is the Bible. Some people's standard is the Quran. Some people's standard is the Tanakh. Some people's standard is government. Some people's standard is whatever your best friend says is their standard. But you need to have a standard. You know why? Because just like in the computer world, there are two operating systems, right? In the computer world, we have Windows and we have Apple, right? Or Mac, right? But in the real world, you know what the two operating systems are? They're the GOS and the FOS. They are the God operating system or the flesh operating system. And depending which operating system you have will dictate how you look at coronavirus, how often you wear a mask, whether you got a vaccine or didn't get a vaccine, and what you do and what you think and what you feel. Which, by the way, that reminds me of a story. And now, story time with Mr. Black. Sally jumped up as soon as she saw the surgeon come out of the operating room. She said, how is my little boy? Is he going to be all right? When can I see him? The surgeon said, I'm sorry. We did all we could, but your boy didn't make it. Sally said, why do little children get cancer? Doesn't God care anymore? Where are you, God, when my son needed you? The surgeon asked, Would you like some time alone with your son? One of the nurses will be out in a few minutes before he's transported to the university. Sally asked the nurse to stay with her while she said goodbye to her son. She ran her fingers lovingly through his thick, red, curly hair. Would you like a lock of his hair? The nurse asked. Sally nodded yes. The nurse cut a lock of the boy's hair, put it in a plastic bag, and handed it to Sally. The mother said, it was Jimmy's idea to donate his body to the university for study. He said it might help someone else. I said no at first, but Jimmy said, Mom, I won't be using it after I die. Maybe it will help some other little boy spend one more day with his mommy. She went on, 
My Jimmy had a heart of gold. He was always thinking of everybody else, always wanting to help others if he could. Sally walked out of Children's Mercy Hospital for the last time. After spending most of the last six months there, she put the bag with Jimmy's belongings on the seat beside her in the car. The drive home was difficult. It was even harder to enter the empty house. She carried Jimmy's belongings in the plastic bag with a lock of his hair to her son's room. She started placing the model cars and other personal things back in his room exactly where he'd always kept them. She lay down across the bed and hugging his pillow, she cried and cried and cried until she fell asleep. It was around midnight when Sally awoke. Laying beside her on the bed was a folded letter. And the letter read, Dear Mom, I know you're going to miss me, but don't think that I will ever forget you or stop loving you. Just because I'm not around to say I love you, I still do. I will always love you, Mom, even more with each day. Someday we will see each other again. However, until then, if you want to adopt a little boy so you won't be so lonely, that's okay with me. He can have my room and old stuff to play with. But if you decide to get a girl instead, she probably wouldn't like the same things us boys do. You'll have to buy her dolls and stuff girls like you know. Don't be sad thinking about me, Mom. This really is a neat place. Grandma and Grandpa met me as soon as I got here and showed me around some. But it will take a long time to see everything. The angels, they are so cool. I love to watch them fly. And you know what? Jesus doesn't look like any of his pictures. Yet when I saw him, Mom, I knew it was him. Jesus himself took me to see God. And guess what, Mom? I got to sit on God's knee and talk to him like I was somebody important. That's when I told him that I wanted to write you a letter to tell you goodbye and tell you how much I loved you and everything else. But I already knew this wasn't allowed. Well, you know what, Mom? God handed me some paper and his own personal pen to write you this letter. I think Gabriel is the name of the angel who's going to drop this letter off to you. God said for me to give you the answer to one of the questions you asked him. Where was he when I needed him? God said he was in the same place with me as when his son Jesus was on the cross. He was right there, and he's always right there with all his children. Oh, by the way, Mom, no one else can see what I've written except you. To everyone else, this is just a blank piece of paper. Isn't that cool? I have to give God his pen back now. He needs it to write some more names in the book of life. Tonight... I get to sit at the table with Jesus for supper. I'm sure the food will be so great. Oh, I almost forgot to tell you, Mom. I don't hurt anymore. The cancer's all gone. I'm glad because I couldn't stand that pain anymore. And God couldn't stand to see me hurt so much either. That's when he sent the angel of mercy to come to get me. The angel said I was a special delivery. How about that, Mom? Your son is a special delivery. Signed with love from God, Jesus, 
and me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the way you look at everything, the frame you put around everything, is based on your standard. What is your standard? Why do you get up each day, do what you do, go home at night, get up the next day, and do it again and again and again? Is your purpose truly just to live as long as you can, no matter what that quality of life is? Or is your purpose to share the good news of God and to share it in such a way that other people want to know and get to know the God that you know and that you serve? See, there really are only two operating systems in this world. You can have a flesh operating system, a FOS, or a God operating system, a GOS. And depending on which operating system you have will dictate how you see everything, what you fear, what you desire, what you move toward, what you move away from. And so today on Like It Matters Radio, I'm going to challenge you to get a standard. What is your standard? When your life is all wrapping up and you're in a box at the front of the room and people are talking about what you did with your time, how will you know if you're successful or not? You'll never know until you judge it against your standard. And today on Like It Matters Radio, we're going to talk about what is that standard. I am Black, and we'll be right back. At Like It Matters, we're about feeding people, but not in the traditional sense. For it is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As conduits, we want to feed people with hope, belief, and an understanding that they have the power and freedom to control how they feel and the way they think. Our daily buffet of encouragement and assistance is served through our trainings, our radio show, one-on-one counseling, and sharing the word through wayofwarrior.blog. Please consider Like It Matters for your year-end tax-deductible donations. We'll use the gift of your donation to bring inspiration, education, and application to those suffering from trauma tied to abuse, molestation, PTSD, drug addiction, and more. Thank you for considering Like It Matters as one of your donation destinations. To help us help others, please donate today at likeitmatters.net slash nonprofit. That's likeitmatters.net slash nonprofit. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio, Like It Matters, inspiration, education, and application. I am Mr. Black, and welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Today, we are covering an important topic, and today's show is called The Standard. You know, uh, for those that know me, first and foremost, I am a man of God. I love uh, God's word. I love God. I love God's people. And when I was younger, one of my favorite artists uh, was a gentleman by the name of Carmen. And he's no longer with us. He's with the Lord. But one of my favorite all-time CD, secular, spiritual, it doesn't matter, is his CD called The Standard. Uh, one of my greatest CDs, I saw the concert live at the Thomas 
the Mac Center in Las Vegas, and I've seen the I've traveled the Beach Boys, uh, the Go Go's, the Bengals, the concerts I've been to. I mean, uh, so many great concerts. There has never been a greater concert than the one by Carmen with the standard. And so in life, we need to have a standard. And I truly believe that there are two types of people, and we could go through all kinds of lists of what those two types of people are. But let me tell you what I believe the two types of people are. There are God's children and those who are not God's children. And those that are God's children are God's children because they've chosen uh, to be God's children, because they've chosen to follow after God, to study His Word, humble themselves before the cross, and to accept the paid price of Christ. And so today, uh, we're going to have a special show because I know what my standard is. My standard is the Bible. It is the Word of God. And so what I thought I'd do is uh, bring on a man I respect, a man uh, who is a pastor, a man who I attend his church right now regularly, thinking about joining the church. He's a good man. He has a great understanding of the Word of God, of the Bible. So instead of you listening to me and my opinion or my perception, I thought I would bring on an expert. So let's welcome uh, uh, my pastor, a pastor of Hope Works Church in Fort Worth, Texas, Mr. Shane Gray. Shane, thank you for joining us on Like It Matters Radio. Well, Mr. Scott Black, I'm honored to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, and it's an important topic. It's an important topic because, uh, you know, I, I'm, you're giving a sermon right now. The series you're doing is about the Bible. And, you know, I read these stats all the time from Barna and from different organizations that uh, poll uh, supposedly Christians. And to see that, I just saw two of them recently said 70% of people uh, believe that are Christians believe that there is more than one way to get to God as Savior, yeah. as Redeemer. Redeemer, uh, and yet we know the Bible tells us something different. And I also saw a study yeah. that that seventy percent of Christians, again people who identify as Christians, I want to be fair to say that, uh, believe mm-hmm. that man is basically good. Now, you as a yeah. pastor know why those two things bother me, uh, because the Bible tells us something totally different. And and I always tell people, last time I checked, there is no book in the Bible called Opinions. Uh, I looked through yeah. it over and over. I've studied it. Uh, matter of fact, Shane, whenever someone says something that's not in the Bible, I go, where'd you find that? Is, is that Opinions 321? Is that where you find yeah. that? Because there is no book in the Bible called Opinions. So I thought we would talk about your one of your favorite topics, uh, one of my oh. favorite topics, uh, and that is the Bible. Fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. You know, in that series that, that you had mentioned, after one of the services, uh, one of our, our, our high school students, um, a great athlete in his high school, a big high school here in the DFW area, came up to me and he said, you know what? In class today, we learned about existentialism, existential nihilism, which is basically the belief that life has no meaning. He said, it's interesting, isn't it? The independent school districts here in Texas can teach about existentialism, that life has no meaning, but they can't teach us about the Word of God and that there's a truth. (laughs) And this young man correctly, I think, connected the dots, and he said, you can't tell me that that does not contribute to the the violence, to the rape, to the suicide rates that are just skyrocketing here in, in our area. 
Oh, it's stunning. And, you know, God used to be such an important part uh, of our culture, uh, of the founding of this country. Uh, All the founding fathers believed in a God of the Bible. You could say, well, they didn't believe in a personal God. We could debate all that stuff, theism versus all that. But they all believed in the God of the Bible. They believed there was a God that at least was in charge, that pressed the play button, and that we were blessed by that God. And and now we live in a country where you can't even say his name. And I I don't know when it was. I think it was the 60s that that uh, Bible was removed from schools, uh, and it was at the beginning mm-hmm. a, a cornerstone of our education, correct? Yes, it was. And in fact, the, the Barna Group uh, did, a, did a study that uh, indicated 41% of Christian teens, Christian teens were uncertain whether Jesus was physically re- resurrected. 63% wow. did not believe Jesus to be the son of the one true God. 44% of Christian teens believe the Bible to be just one of many authoritative voices. 33% of Christian teens here in the United States believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, and only 5% of these Christian teens actually read their Bible daily. But I believe that if that percentage of the 5% would increase, then people would realize that there is one true living God. It's Jesus Christ, and they would experience Him through His love letter to Him, His his instruction manual, His roadmap, His divine revelation through Scripture, because it is not an, a normal book. It's a, it's a supernatural book. As Charles Spurgeon said, the Word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. All you have to do (laughs) is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Amen. That's so powerful. (laughs) Oh, there there are, are quantifiable evidences that the Scripture is indeed the authoritative Word of God, uh, applicable and relevant for us today. Well, and what you said is so important. You know, it's a it's a guiding document. It, it's it's not just a book. I, I believe it's the most published, the most um, I don't know about read, but most printed. It's in every single language. But yet, I, you know, I study the Quran as well. You know, I, I belong to a group called uh, Common Ground where we learn what the Quran says about Isa al Masir, Jesus the Messiah, and and we totally just uh, understand what Muslims believe. And then what we do is we know there's an end door because we can talk about Jesus with Muslims because he's in the Quran. There's 94 ayats of the Quran. But one thing I realized uh, that Muslims don't read their Quran. Some of them in Muslim countries, they'll memorize it in Arabic as a kid. The problem is they don't know Arabic. So they're memorizing a, a, a book in a language they don't understand. But I, I did that one time. I was dating a girl from Mexico uh, and I learned this song. I didn't know what I was singing. But I was singing this Mexican song, and it was about amore. It was a love song. It was sweet. It was we loved to dance to it. But I could not tell you what I was saying. But I was singing the yeah. song. Uh, and there's yeah. a lot of people like that. And in the army, I learned how to use a compass. A compass sets a point on the horizon, uh, and it's mm-hmm. nice because you have that point. We can get off course, but when you look up, you can always see how to get back on course. And to me, uh, I don't know about you, but that equates to the Bible. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's a there's a worldview, and I, I believe that we need to know the enemy that we're up against. So I believe that we need to be able to name it, to identify it, in order to rebuke it in Jesus' name and stand against it, and also to educate our the, our young people that the next generation's hearts and minds, and equip their hearts and minds to have faith in the midst of these worldviews. 
one of which is postmodernism. Postmodernism is simply a worldview open to interpretations of truth where you can't tell me that my perspective of truth is wrong, and I can't tell you that your perspective of truth is wrong. That would be the most uh, offensive thing that either of us could do in this world. And the other worldview is like postmodernism, but it's called relativism. And relativism is the uh, belief that morality is subjective. So like postmodernism, but different. I think that the, the, the distinctions between the two would be uh, un, under postmodernism, everybody is a thermostat. If there's 100 thermostats and reading 100 different temperatures from 1 to 100, and it's 85 degrees outside, everybody's right. Nobody can be wrong, even if that temperature is quantifiable. Relativism is a little different. It basically says everybody is a thermostat. Everybody sets the temperature. Everybody determines what is their view of right. But the scripture Mm -hmm. says that the standard of truth is Jesus Christ. He said, Mm -hmm. I am the way the truth and the life. And I believe that the uh, the first century postmodern philosopher was Pontius Pilate when he said, what is truth really? Is truth really objective? Is truth really tangible? And Jesus said in response to that, I absolutely, I am the truth. And the reason that I came into the world, he said in John 18, is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And he revealed his truth to us in his word. The word is the revelation of Jesus. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gave many convincing proofs in all of the uh, Old Testament, all 39 books, saying that it all points to me. The word is the revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is the incarnation of the word, John 1.14, and the word became flesh. And this word is indeed quantifiable it's 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 there there are evidences there there yeah, are corroborating those. evidences yeah and i want to get into those real quick though we're getting ready to go to break i want to first uh, uh um uh, Fine, if you will, the word standard. We keep using that word standard. So let me define standard. An idea or thing used as a measure, norm, or model in comparative evaluations. The essential meaning of standard, this is from, uh, um, I think, uh, I'm not sure which dictionary, but it says, a level of quality, achievement, etc., that is considered acceptable or desirable. Uh, ideas about morally correct and acceptable behaviors. And thirdly, mm-hmm. something that is very good and that is used to make judgments about the quality of other things. And so after yes. the break, I'm actually, Shane, going to ask you some questions, some basic questions. We call this apologetics. Uh, and the first question I'm going to ask, because I think it's important to know, uh, is the Bible true? Because uh, if we're telling here, we got a, a standard here to follow, first of all, we got to make sure it's true. So after the break, I'd yes. like to talk about for you to explain to our listeners, is the Bible true, number one? And then I want to cover an interesting word called historicity. Historicity. Yes. How do we know anything? If I'm reading a book by Plato or Confucius, how do I know if it was actually written by the people that said wrote it? So today on Like It Matters Radio, we're talking about the standard. I got a guest, uh, Pastor Shane Gray, and we'll be right back. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. We are all in the construction business, constructing memories, relationships, new ideas, and a legacy that will outlive us. Life is best imagined as a construction project. Hey, can we get that backhoe over here? At Like It Matters, we craft tools and teach you how to use them. Mr. Black has a bevy of tools to help you build your life into your dream. One of those tools is individual life counseling. The best analogy is a life caddy. 
because sometimes you just need another set of eyes. A second tool, books by Mr. Black, always opening up your mind. Third, workshops, where we teach people how they work and how to function at a higher level. Nice job. That's it for today. Wrap it up. Contact Mr. Black at mr.black at likeitmatters.net. Building a better you today. Likeitmatters.net. Helping people live their lives like they matter. That's mr.black at likeitmatters.net. Discover the tools to build your relationships, your vision, and your life. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. This is where we're living life like it matters. This is your hour of power to work on your heart, body, and your soul. And today, we have a special guest that's not only going to work on your heart, not only going to work on your body, but it's going to work on your soul, which is the most important work of all. I'm blessed to have a man join me who I consider a friend. He's a senior pastor at Hope Works. He's my pastor currently, and just love his knowledge of the Bible. Uh, he's a, He can preach it too, and he believes it, and he lives it. So let's welcome back to Like It Matters Radio, uh, Pastor Shane Gray. Thanks again, Shane, for joining us. Well, well thank you, Mr. Black. So we're going to go to the big question. You know, you had talked about Pontius Pilate in the last segment. Uh, and it's yeah. funny because after Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? He did what most people today do. And you know this because you know scripture. He walked away. He didn't wait for yeah. Jesus's response. He didn't sit there and listen to his oration. He posed a question that had no desire to be answered and he walked away. And boy, how many people are doing the same thing? today, huh? Yeah, oh my goodness, yes. And Pontius Pilate was looking in the very face of truth, and his spirit resonated. He knew, I believe, in his, yep. in his discernment that this was yep. truth, and yet he walked away, because he chose to, yep. to, to live a life of comfort and, and, and the fear of men, rather than following, following in the footsteps of, of truth. And the, the result of that, is, as I mentioned earlier in our last segment, that nine and ten uh, teens in the UK believe that life has no purpose at all, and a majority of even wow. Christian teens here in the United States don't believe that Jesus is the one true living God and the, the way, the truth, and the life. And I, I, we mentioned uh, postmodernism modernism and relativism in the last segment, and there are two giants that our nation is facing today called existential nihilism and existentialism, and I believe that, that our society has to know what they are in order to address them and equip our teens, our next generation, our children, to slay these giants. Existential nihilism, Scott, is the belief that life has no intrinsic meaning or value. Wow. I mean, how depressing is that? Existentialism is the worldview that life has no meaning or value, and yet just try to make the best of it. And wow. if, if, if we put a word picture to these two philosophies, one, the first, popularized by Frederick Nietzsche, who famously said, who infamously said that God is dead. Existential nihilism is basically walking through a blizzard in the cold and sub-freezing temperatures, and then you die, and that's that. Now, existentialism is walking in a blizzard. It's freezing. It is uh, sub-temperature degrees. Well, 
make a few snowmen, and then you die, and that is that. But Christianity, wow. you're walking through a blizzard, sub-temperature um, degrees, uh, the, the wind is howling, and yet there is a sun, an S-O-N, Son of God, who is also the S-U-N, who blazes Amen. into our heart and thaws the freeze and causes new life and vibrant radiance to spring forward and who glows upon our countenance, giving us love and life and meaning and purpose through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Colossians Amen. chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that we were made to move and breathe and find our meaning in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this relationship with Jesus Christ is not as, as intangible, um, it is not as, as, as out of reach as people believe it is, because Jesus actually gave us a love letter. It's called His Bible. Amen. And when we open it Amen. up, we realize the truth that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we know that the Word of God is supernatural. It's not like reading a history book. It's not like reading a phone book. It's not like reading a science book, although it is scientifically pure. But when you open up the Bible and read it, your heart swells with faith and the conviction that Jesus Christ is the creator of all, and we were made for him. Let me get to some questions. So this is what, what listen to you. I could listen to you talk all day. Well, actually, I do. It is. That's why you're my pastor. <laughs> but uh, I want to get a couple things. But this is what's so fascinating because what I do in my leadership training on the radio is I bring in the, the biological, the physiological, the psychological, and I always wrap yes. it in the Word of God. And one thing I've always found out that, uh, boy, when, when man learns enough, it comes congruent with the Bible. So the example I like to give is the book Man for meaning. Now, I don't know if Dr. Yes. Victor Franco, I think he, he was Jewish. I don't know if he was a, a practicing Jew, a religious Jew, or just a genetic Jew. But in Auschwitz, uh, he wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, and he yes. came up with the concept of logotherapy, that man has a basic intrinsic innate need uh, for will, to, to know a purpose, to have a will. And that's what logotherapy is, that there's a, a reason for everything. And when you have a reason why, then you can overcome any how. And that's a secular understanding that man is driven for the will to meaning, to put meaning in everything. And if man can find meaning, he can overcome any obstacle, any barrier, which brings us back to why what you said in the UK, where nine out of 10 kids believe there is no purpose. Purpose. When you have no purpose, you will lie, you will steal, you will cheat, you will rape, you will kill, you will rob. Yes. Because, right, it, it, we just live Absolutely. now because tomorrow <laughs> death comes. And so let's go to the yes. most important question. The first one's always the most important one, lays the foundation. This can be a big one for you, Shane. Is yes. the Bible true? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Every word of it. Why? The, the Bible, well, there, there, are, there are many quantifiable reasons, but let's start with the Bible's, first of all, testimony of itself. We read in the scriptures that uh, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And we also read in the scriptures in Second Peter, uh, the first reference was Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. And then in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, we read that not a sentence, not a word, in all 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 verses, not one single word was written by the will of man, but rather by the will of God who inspired these men. It testifies of itself that it is the truth. In fact, 
Jesus himself testified that the scriptures are the truth. In Matthew chapter 5, when he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I'm not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. In fact, all of the Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament are about Jesus Christ. And they testify of Jesus Christ so that when Jesus did step onto the scene and he claimed to be the Messiah, there was quantifiable evidence. Um, I, I love the, the mathematician Peter Stoner's example, the likelihood of somebody fulfilling just eight of the over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled written in the Old Testament about himself, the likelihood of somebody fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled <laughs> is one in 10 to the 17th power. And if you put a wow. picture to that astronomical number, uh, just to have an idea of how big one in 10 to the 17th power is, our universe measured in centimeters is one in 10 to the 29th power. But wow. the likelihood that Jesus fulfilled just eight of the 300 wow. prophecies accidentally is one in 10 to the 17th power. And a picture to that number, fill the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep, randomly put a black dot on just one silver dollar, mix all these silver dollars up in the whole state of Texas, and only one of them has a black dot. Get into an airplane, blindfolded, uh, blindfold the parachuter, <laughs> circle around the state of Texas, up around Amarillo, down south by San Antonio, over east by Nacogdoches, west, <laughs> circle around Lubbock, and just keep circling around, randomly parachuting out, fumbling around, and the very first silver dollar that you pick up is the one with the black dot. That is one in 10 to the 17th power. It's not very likely. Oh, and Jesus oh. fulfilled so, not eight, but 300 prophecies wow. about himself. Wow. Wow. So let me ask you another question in line with that, because I hear this a lot. Now, I know the answer. I believe you never ask a question as a good leader that you don't know the answer to. So I know the answer, but does the Bible contradict itself? I hear this lie all the time. Oh, the, the Bible contradicts itself. So here's your question. Does the Bible contradict itself? Oh, the Bible is a seamless, flawless love story. And the people who say that the Bible doesn't contradict itself simply don't know the Scriptures. For example, in my time with the Lord the other day, I was in the book of Psalms, and I read that, um, that the Lord is basically quick to anger. And then I read in another place in the Psalms that the Lord is slow to anger. And somebody might initially, you know, pick this out and pick that yeah. out and say, aha, there's a contradiction. There's not a contradiction. Yeah. The Lord is quick quick to anger in dealing with governmental leaders because there's a higher standard for leadership. That was the context yeah. of that of that passage. And the Lord is yeah. slow to anger to those who are in need of mercy and who are broken and who are contrite. And so uh, on the offset, you might see a contradiction, but when you seek the Scripture and you learn the heart of God and you learn Scripture and you see the seamless love story throughout all Scripture, you see there are no contradictions, and what seems to be a contradiction is actually a root that has a deeper truth, which will become an anchor of your faith. But think, think about this in relation to whether or not there are any contradictions. I challenge anybody listening, anybody, to go down to your local university. Here would be to, to UTA or to TCU. Go to your local university. Go into the library. Or even go to your local Barnes & Noble. Walk to the bookstore. 
randomly pick out 66 books, as there's 66 books in the Bible, but randomly just pick out 66 books from the history section, from the science section, from the entrepreneurial section, from the leadership section, from the business section. Randomly pick out 66 books written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents. And if all of these books have a common storyline, a common theme, without any contradictions, and it all points to the central, same purpose, then I would acknowledge that the Bible is not supernatural. But you can't pick out 66 books by 40 authors over 1,500 years in three different languages, three different continents that have a common storyline without any contradictions. But that's the case about the Bible. It's a supernatural document. Amen. We're going to heartbreak because Shane's passionate about this. We're talking about the standard. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking with Pastor Shane Gray. We'll be right back. Give me 48 hours and I will give you a new beginning. Give me 48 hours and I will give you hope. Give me 48 hours and I will give you your power back. Because between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is your freedom. It is your power. At Like It Matters Leadership Awakening, 48 hours will change the course of your life. Discover the very purpose of your life, along with the ability to achieve. Give Mr. Black 48 hours in the next Leadership Awakening. Sign up at likeitmatters.net slash schedule. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. This is where we're setting a standard, and today on Like It Matters Radio, we are talking about the standard, and we are talking with Pastor Shane Gray. He's a senior pastor of Hope Works. He's my pastor. It's a church I currently attend. Uh, Shane, you know, before the break, you were talking about your passion about the Bible and the 66 books and the 40 writer uh, authors, and you know, I love Chuck Missler. He's with the Lord. Chuck Missler approached the Bible very very, very uh, scientifically, very methodically, very uh, intellectually. And his quote is, the Bible is 66 books written by 40 authors written between 1446 B.C. and 90 A.D., but now we discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time and space domain, which Mm -hmm. while I'm saying it right now, I'm going to now share with you one of my favorite quotes by Chuck Missler. Mm -hmm. And he says, someone has said, if you squeeze squeeze a lemon, you should get lemon juice. If you squeeze an orange, you should get orange juice. If you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ. But the problem is, Pastor, and you know this, is if it ain't in you, it ain't coming out of you. Uh, And there's one way to get the Word of God in us. We got to read it. We got to listen to it. We got to meditate on it. We got to roll on it. We got to eat it. We got to savor it. Uh, We've got to get it into us. But I want to talk about this interesting word, because one of the things that swayed me so much over the last four or five decades is when I took a look at historicity and where they compared mm-hmm. the Bible to other books that we understand. Talk about the historicity. What is it and how does the how does it support the Bible being what the Bible says it yeah. is? Yeah, and, and you know, Scott, um, you, you had mentioned when, when you're squeezed, Christ ought to come out of followers of Christ. And I, and I would just like to say that I, uh, I attended uh, Mr. Black's leadership uh, weekend, and Christ just poured out of Scott Black. And uh, the people there, their lives are transformed. Members of our church have attended that, and uh, it changed their lives. And I, I just wanted to just to acknowledge that. But in, well, in terms you. of the... 
You're welcome. But in terms of the historicity of, of Jesus Christ and the New Testament, there is no document like the New Testament scriptures. In fact, uh, those who 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 measure uh, texts of antiquity have certain standards. When was it originally written? When was the first copy of that text written? How many years um, elapsed between the original writings and the first copy? And how many first copies were there? So, I mean, that stands to reason that the shorter the time frame from the date of the original writing to the first copy, there's more credibility to the historicity of the text so that we know what we're reading was actually what was written down. And the more copies of that first copy, copy than the greater mm-hmm. credibility so that we know that what we're reading was what was originally written down. And if you analyze some texts of antiquity, for example, Plato's writings were written in 900 AD, and the first copy of that writing was 1,200 years later, and there were wow. seven copies. And in terms of uh, evaluating text of antiquity, that has high credibility to it. Or uh, Caesar. His his writings were in 144 BC. The first copies, a thousand. Um, I'm sorry, 900 AD, and and the the, the number of copies were um, were ten, and that even has a high degree of credibility. Or you look at Homer's Iliad, originally written in 900 BC. Uh, the first copy, um, 400 BC, a time frame of about 500 years, and the number of mm. copies, first copies of the original text, 643. That's huge. That's wow. incredible credibility. That's incredible um, reliability. But consider yeah. the New Testament text. The New Testament okay. was written between 50 to 100 AD, and the first copies were less than 100 years after that. The number of first copies, 24,000. There are no 24, other texts of antiquity. Wow. Yes, there are no other texts of antiquity with as much historicity and credibility as Scripture. In fact, I've been to the Qumran Valley where they would where they would preserve these texts and copy them. We read in scriptures about the Pharisees. They tried to bring about change through uh, purity and adherence to, to the law. We read in the scriptures about the Sadducees. They tried to bring about change through uh, political maneuvering. We read in scripture about the Zealots. They tried to bring about change through revolt from the Roman Empire. There was another sect that we don't hear so much about, but their contributions are still an incredible blessing to us today. These were the Essenes, and their um, method to, to change the world, to make the world a better place and honor God, was by preserving the text the biblical text. And they would actually retreat um, into the mountains, into the caves, and there's a place called the Qumran Valley where they lived. And they invented new and beautiful forms of repentance, a repentance ceremony called mikvah. In fact, this is no doubt where the custom of baptism emerged. By the time John the Baptist steps onto the scene in the New Testament, Jesus took this and stamped it as a seal of, 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 of his followers. But they, uh, they, they would partake of these beautiful, reverent um, ceremonies of repentance there in the Qumran Valley before they would go into a chamber and they would write word for word, not even word for word, letter for letter. Before they wrote a letter, there would be a person in the middle writing the letter and a person on his right confirming that's the letter, a person on the left confirming that's the letter. He would write the letter. They would confirm that letter was, was correctly written. They would move on to the next letter. Of course, Hebrew was written in from the right to the left. 
and they even had a numbering system horizontal and vertically and they would count it all up and if there was a mistake then they would begin all over again in the beginning wow. God and in fact before they wow. wrote the word God they would go and partake of this repentance ceremony all over again because they were about wow. to write the name of God and the result of that was found in a discovery in 1947. There is an Arab shepherd boy who is chasing down a, a lost sheep. He just threw a rock as kids do. The rock disappeared and he heard something break. He investigated into these caves and in 1947 found the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century and that was the Dead Sea Scrolls with over 800 text from the Old Testament in a completely preserved copy of Isaiah chapter 53, word for word with what we have, so that we know that when we read our Old Testament today, it was exactly what was written down when Isaiah first wrote it in 700 B.C., or David first wrote the Psalms in 1060 B.C. Now, we know that if God is going to write a book, He's going to do it correctly. We see that if God is going to preserve a book, He's going to do it correctly. And if God can preserve, for example, His people, the the incubator that would would be the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, if God is going to preserve a people throughout um, persecution year after year after year in genocide— and he can successfully preserve a people, then we know that God can successfully preserve a book. And we know that what we are reading today was what was written down from the Old Testament authors as well as the New Testament authors. Awesome. We don't have much time left. I want to really hit quickly science and like archaeology. Now, I know people a lot of times say that, you know, we don't believe in science. I think the Bible supports science. God wrote the Bible. God wrote science uh, and archaeology. Can you just speak for about a minute or two about how the Bible and science archaeology support each other? Oh, yes, absolutely. And people oftentimes say that the Bible contradicts science. That is not true. In fact, with the evolution of science, we see that science itself doesn't even stand up Evolution itself does not stand up to the evolution of science. Uh, For example, in um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Did you know that there was an atheist named Herbert Spencer, and I encourage you to to research it, and a philosopher who devoted his entire life to categorizing all things into five categories. These five categories, time, space, force, energy, matter. The entire life of Mr. Herbert Spencer was devoted to categorizing all things into these five categories, time, space, force, energy, but to Mr. Spencer, I wish he would have simply looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse in the beginning, <laughs> time, God, force, created, energy, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Right off of the uh, right off of the, the get-go, Genesis 1-1, the Bible is scientifically pure. And you contrast the Bible, for example, with other texts, uh, religious texts, and their uh, explanation of the origins. For example, in Hinduism, all of the earth is believed to be on the back of an elephant. And when the elephant has an itch and it shakes, well, then that's where earthquakes <laughs> come from. And that makes perfect sense, right? Except for... Yeah, of course it does. Elephant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the elephant hey, on the Shane, back of? We got, the- we got, we got, what? yeah, go ahead. We got one minute left. I need you to plug, by the way, I could do this forever. I need you to plug your church. Tell people where you preach at. He's a great preacher. I go there. Uh, man, you will be filled with the Word of God. Tell them how they can join our church and how they can reach out to you. 
Well, check us out from wherever you are across the country. Just uh, check us out at HopeWorks.Church, and you can you can join in with us on our live feed. Um, if you're in the area, please join us at 1701 Hemphill, Fort Worth, just south of downtown Fort Worth. Take a listen to these words about Like It Matters Leadership Awakening from a recent attendee. Leadership Awakening is like nothing else. It's incomparable to any other training that I've been through, and that's executive professional communication training to to how to hold a fork. It, the, the Leadership Awakening is a deep mental experience where I was forced to challenge my mind in a way that I've never been challenged before and it's there's nothing like it there's 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 no way to explain it with words you have to experience it leadership awakening change your heart change your mind change your life go to likeitmatters.net slash schedule for the next leadership awakening it's not only changing lives it's saving lives that's likeitmatters.net slash schedule Hey, podcasters, so excited for today's podcast. Uh, and what you're about to listen to is extra content. You know, we uh, we do Like It Matters Radio Monday through Friday for an hour a day. And sometimes we'll take those radio shows and we'll rerun them as podcasts and we'll add some content. Uh, so that's what we're doing today. And so I would like to welcome back uh, my pastor, uh, the senior pastor of Hope Works Church, Mr. Shane Gray. Thanks again, Shane, for being with us. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Thank you. Hey, you know, your church is named Hope Works, and I love the word hope. I, I really believe as a leader, you know, my forte is leadership training that leaders, uh, the commodity of a leader is a hope peddler. We're to be a hope peddler. We we live in a world where there's helplessness and hopelessness, where it's the definition of depression. You know, we and to me, depression is today sucks and tomorrow will be no different. But yet God says, no matter what's going on today, he'll meet us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where we're at. And so let's talk yes. about hope works. What is the power of hope? You talk about that all the time. What is the power of hope, Shane? Well, you know, hope is is multifaceted, and I believe it's it's the most beautiful word in the English language. I think it's the most beautiful word. Is my, is my wife is is Mexican from Mexico City? It's the most beautiful word in the in the Spanish language, uh, Esperanza, and be, I think it's the most beautiful word in the Hebrew. I think it's the most beautiful word in the Greek. Hope, in essence, is our lifeline that will not fail. You know, Scott, you you mentioned from time to time Victor Frankel and Man's Search for Meaning, and I love. I love the man's search for meaning and, and the, the writings of Victor Frankel. He had mentioned that the death rate amongst um, the prisoners in the concentration camp um, skyrocketed in January. It's because they were holding out hope that they would be liberated mm-hmm. by Christmas. And when Christmas wow. came and went and they lost hope, they died. And I believe that that accents how important what a necessity hope is for our hearts, for our spirits. And without it, we simply waste away. But within it, you know, we, we, we as the scriptures say in Isaiah 40, mount up with wings as eagles and soar. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually four words 
for hope in the Hebrew and in the English. And, uh, English, I mean, in, from the Hebrew and the Greek, English has been called a, a blunt instrument. For example, you know, we love the Dallas Cowboys. We, we love hot dogs. We, we, we love our families. We love God. We obviously don't mean the same thing when we say love. So uh, in the Greek, love is broken down, agape, phileo, storge, eros. And in the same way, hope can mean many things. Well, I hope it works out. I hope it rains. I hope in God. And those don't mean the same thing. And that's why the Hebrew and the Greek are far more specific. Um, in the Hebrew, there's a word called and that actually means promise. And it is translated into the English as hope. Hope is a promise from the Word of God. And if we cling to the promises of God, then He will lift us up out of the mud and mire and set our feet on solid ground. I saw one time a there was a flood here in Texas, and a uh, there was uh, news footage of a helicopter lowering down a rope, and the uh, highway patrolman wrapped the rope around himself, and as the flood waters were rising, and it was a daring rescue, and the helicopter carried him away. Well, that rope is a picture of Tikvah, the promises of God, and when our emotions are, are weighty and sorrowful and despairing, and we don't feel like we can go on, there's a rope, and we just have to cling to it, and it's God's promises to us, and every promise in the Word of God is yes and amen. And another word for hope throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew is tokelef, and tokelef, whereas rope, whereas hope, uh, tikvah deals with the rope, the promises of God, tokelef deals with the person who's making the promise, because the promise is only as good as the character of the person. And so when we pray, we have hope, because that hope is sure, because God's character is unwavering, and His Word even has greater honor than His name. Another word for hope in the Old Testament is yakal, and that actually means to wait upon the Lord. And we realize, like Abraham, what is happening in us while we wait is far more important than whatever it is that we're waiting for. And God is faithful, and He's going to bless us with what we're waiting for, or infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. And after we've gone through a season of waiting, we will actually love the giver of the gift more than the gift itself. And that's so important, because then we won't commit idolatry with the gifts of God, but rather we'll just have hearts that overflow with gratefulness. And then my favorite word for hope in Scripture is from the New Testament, and in the Greek it's elpis, and that simply means to expect. Um, an example of this is the proverbial cheetah who's chasing a gazelle at 60 miles an hour. Now, uh, whether you're a cheetah or whether you're a gazelle, if you want to live, you better wake up running. <laughs> in the same way, <laughs> if you want to live and have life to the fullest, we have to wake up with peace. We have to wake up with an expectation that God is good and God is glorious and God is faithful and He's done it before. He's doing it now. He's going to do it again. We have the expectation that God is at work in about three ways that we might be able to identify, but about 10,000 ways that we have no idea. But he's always at work and always glorious and always full of love.
Amen. And that's the hope, you know, and, you know, a lot of people don't know this, you know, why is the Bible called the gospel or and all that, you know, the, the New Testament called the gospel? And it's actually good news. Uh, and and yeah. good news is about hope, you know, and we should, you know, we talked about Dr. Victor Frankl. One of my favorite quotes by him was uh, the one where I, I say it over and over. He said, between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is your power. Mm-hmm. It's your freedom. And that power and freedom comes from God. Uh, and, and once we realize that. And this is where I take the physiological, biological, psychological. You know, God made us to where our mind is six times faster than we can talk. And then if you understand transactional analysis, Dr. Eric Burns said there's a stimulus and there's a response. That's called a transaction. He says the stimulus does not dictate the response. Here's what happens. Because your mind is six times faster than you can talk, we go to what we know. You know, the, the Bible says the dog returns with vomit and the sow after cleaning herself returns the mire because man goes to what he knows. We're a creature of habit. You know, the, I think the proverb goes that you can tell a man's religion in time of despair. And so wow. in time of despair, we go to what we know. And so when someone says something or does something, we they, no one can make us angry. No one can make us bitter. No one can make us shut down. We have to participate. And then I go right to the Word of God to prove my point. When Jesus was being yeah. crucified, he said seven mm-hmm. things on the cross. The first one being, forgive them, Father, for they know not mm-hmm. what they do. And so Jesus himself showed us between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is our power and our freedom. And that's where then I make the connection that God cares how we suffer. And that's the strangest concept. But God cares how we suffer. Just like he said, when you're fasting, don't walk around with a sad old face and look all pale and, oh, it's me. I'm just fasting, being a holier-than-thou person. God says, no, 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 no. Be cheerful. Put oil on your face look bright, look good, look yeah. all that. And God cares how we suffer. And, and I think as a leader, to tie this full string as a leader, when we bring hope to people, we can keep them um, from being helpless and hopeless. We can keep them in yes. their power base, be, having the freedom that God gave us. So we're getting ready to wrap this up, Shane. Um, but what would you like to tell our listeners about when they feel helpless and hopeless, uh, what, where, where do they find the hope? Well, they they have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The creator of all things knows your name. He doesn't just simply know how many hairs are on your head, but he has them numbered. So if hair number 3,416 falls out, he knows it's number 3,416. He is intimately acquainted with all your ways. He loves you, and he created you for a relationship with him. And so I would just say, turn to Christ and cry out to him, and God descends to deliver. And stand upon the promises of God. And understand that emotions um, can very well be deceitful liars. And so don't place so much confidence in your emotions, what they're saying. Don't place so much confidence in your circumstances. They will come and go and place all of your confidence. And this God who loves you so much, he chose to leave the glory of heaven and go through the agony of the cross because he didn't want to spend eternity without you. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and be encouraged because this very storm, uh, this this fiery trial and tribulation is going to be a testimony and of God's deliverance, of his power, of his provision, of his peace, of his healing. It's going to be a testimony, and you're going to want to climb to the highest mountain shop top and shout to the world, 
through the loudest megaphone. It's true. God is close to the brokenhearted. It's true. God does give beauty for ashes. It's true. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Shane. And you know, one thing I I hold on to is God's omniscient, and I'm an etymologist by trade. So omniscience means perfect knowledge. If, If God were to learn anything, he would cease to be God. And so I, wow. the reason I say that is because God knows where we're at. He knows our struggles. He knows the outcome. God knows my first day. He knows my last day. He knew it before I was even a single cell in my mother's womb. And so I yeah. hold on to that hope that no matter what's going on, God knows my last day. I'm not afraid of coronavirus. I don't wear a mask. Mm-hmm. I haven't been inoculated because God is. I got a good immune system. And I know that if mm-hmm. I die by COVID, it was already written. If I die by a car accident, yeah. it was already written. And you know what my hope is, Pastor? My hope is that, like Paul said, some will not die. And I believe we're at the end, and I believe that some that are alive today will not die. We'll be changed in a twinkle of an eye. And so, God bless you, my friend. I look forward to seeing you Sunday at church, and uh, I know you gave a lot of people hope today. So thank you, my friend. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Scott. And and, and Scott, I would just like to say, if anybody hasn't been through your class, I'd highly encourage them to. It's uh, been life-changing for people and from our church. Church, and it's just been such a, a source of, of inspiration in my heart. Awesome. Shane, thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. I'll see you on Sunday. Okay. You are under construction you, on the Like It Matters radio network. I am Mr. Black, helping you become more hopeful about your future, reminding you when you live your life like it matters. It does. Amen. You have been listening to Mr. Black, master trainer for Like It Matters. Please find us on Facebook by searching LIM Radio. Make sure to follow us, like our posts, and share with others. Also, search YouTube for Like It Matters. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. And for more information on how we can help you live life like it matters, go to likeitmatters.net where you can find more information on our transformational training, our life coaching, counseling, our radio show, and other ways we help you continue the journey of living life like it matters.